welcome to the Honest EP podcast. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diversities in health, ask some hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's on the benches. And joining me as always is our health business owner, Andrew. <laughs> um, Andrew's not with me right now, and neither is Joe, Duncan, Nagy, but they are in, uh, well, in my garage band, and we're going to talk to them again after our last part uh, about challenging behaviours. We're now going to move the conversation more towards... Uh, uh, neurodiverse clients and some behaviours you might see in the clinic or the gym that could be challenging to work with. So let's jump in. I thought we should pivot to um, talking about some challenging behaviours from some different population groups. So Joe, one you have a lot of experience with is dealing with some challenging behaviours in our like neurodiverse uh, population. Um, how uh, what are generally the challenging behaviours that you've come across? And then we can talk about what you've found are the best ways to manage it. So definitely overstimulation is a big one. Mm. And how clients exhibit their overstimulation can be very different. It could be like retreating um, and just going into oneself. Um, or it can be very kind of explosive and it might include damaging walls or damaging themselves um so a bit more harmful those are probably like the two main categories that i'm seeing quite a bit of and when you first see it it's it can be quite scary like oh god what what do i possibly do with this it's like do i jump in do i hold them and you know you just have those those kind of initial reactions yeah it's really confronting Mm. especially those louder more explosive sort of um, behaviors Mm. and i think the important thing there is always your personal safety is super important Mm. but also ideally and this is with the benefit of hindsight Mm. there are these things that exist that are called behavioral support plans And they are a godsend. They're so helpful. And what is a behavioural support plan? A behavioural support plan is a step-by-step action plan that you can use when a client is having, is being overstimulated or is having a moment of dysregulation. And so it is written by a behavioural support practitioner usually and they're experts at learning about different client behaviours and interpreting them and what they mean because especially in a neurodiverse population, all the behaviours mean something Mm. and it's just their way of expressing it, particularly Mm. if they are non-verbal or not very verbal and they can't just tell you, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. Or, you know, someone who's maybe neurotypical might be having a panic attack and they can comprehend what's happening and express that to you. This often does not happen, Mm. say, Mm. in an autism population. You can't Mm. say, uh, I'm feeling anxious. I need to go outside. Yeah. Yeah. And it often happens all at once and it's like mm. dialing the volume up zero to a hundred. Mm. If that happened to me, I'd be all over the place. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So these behavioral support plans, uh, you can normally access them uh, if they are a, oh, if they're an NDIS participant. Yes. Should be able to access it. Um, you can normally ask the support coordinator if they have one or if they have other team. It's a question that we ask as part of our intake yes. now. So um, is there a behavioural support plan for this participant? Mm. We ask that as part of our intake and it gives us a bit of a heads up. Absolutely. If, if something's 
So it's a good, okay. So then when we ask that, if they respond yes on the intake form, uh, is there then a follow-up question? Uh, well, we obviously need consent to be able to access that form, um, but that would be something that we followed up mm. um, as a pretty high priority mm. with, with that participant. Um, because like you said, it's, it's a very good insight into how we can assist those people when mm. they are a bit overstimulated. Would you say it would be a normal uh, response for if we asked, um, can we have access to it? They would say yes? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, this is very, yeah. uh, and like, again, I appreciate that we are in a private practice and, you know, we don't, we don't see a huge amount of it, but within other contexts, mm. it's very normal, mm. right? And, it's, and the language that you use is not like, oh, does mm. this person, can I, can I see it? Mm. So it's just a question that you ask. Yeah. In, in the same way that you might ask someone if they have a, uh, a mental health diagnosis, mm. is there a behavior support plan for this person? Yeah. Um, it's just a very normal thing mm. to ask. Diagnosis, what are your NDS plan goals? Do you have a behavior support plan? Simple things. Simple. Yeah. Great. Cool. It's also really great for the client because if you are able to understand them a little bit deeper from that first meeting, mm. you can build that rapport and that trust much quicker. And then if they, there's often warning signs and you're not going to know that having met the person for the first time. Mm. So utilizing the client as the expert, that behavioral support plans most likely been done in conjunction with them mm. from someone who communicate can communicate with them, which is great. But then also like their carers, so their support worker who's bringing them to the session or their parents if they're, they're around for the session. Using those people who know that person very well, what does this mean? Is this something that I need to be concerned mm. about? How can I communicate this to the client? Mm. Do you think that they're comfortable right now? Mm. What can I do to make them more comfortable? I think, I think it's a really good point because oftentimes, particularly for people who are nonverbal or not very verbal, you don't really know what's happened to them that day. Um, yeah. They might just be having a not so good day. Um, and if they can't communicate that effectively, all you're seeing is the behavior. And that can be very difficult if you're just learning to work with someone for the first time about what is it am I actually seeing? Is this a regular part of their, per, of their, their interactions with other people? Or is this something that we should actually, you know, get the support worker in or get the, the psychologist or whoever in to be able to provide some support to them and to us yes. in how to manage this. Yeah. And particularly in this population, the behaviours always mean something and they mean very different things to if Archie was to go around and smash the walls right now, like that would mean something very different to my clients who do it because they're trying to express to me that they're overwhelmed mm. because of maybe the music. And Archie can tell me you're overwhelmed because this really bad thing happened to you today and you can explain it to me. Yeah. But my other clients don't have that opportunity with me. Mm. So having an understanding of what things can overstimulate people could be useful or would yeah. be very useful. Yes. Mm. What is... Uh, some examples of actionable steps that you have seen on a behavior support plan? Looking at the warning signs for mm -hmm. someone. So there'll be like these sorts of behaviors that are being demonstrated that might be covering your face. It might mean drinking a lot of water. It might mean 
tapping your foot or searching for something, pushing you away, pulling something towards them. They all mean something and then there'll be a corresponding column that says this probably means this. Mm. Like pushing away means I don't want that. Mm. Stop it. Um, Pulling towards means give me that. Mm. Drinking water a lot means my blood sugar's out of control right Mm. now. (laughs) I'm not feeling well. So then you can help do the thing that'll make that better. So if it's I'm covering my face, it's for that person and it could be different for different people. It might be leave that person alone. It might be revert to your five words or less or only one choice or two choices per question, not open-ended questions because Mm. that's just going to be too much to interpret if you're in a heightened state. Mm. It might be some very basic key signs that you can do with that person or some music that you can play that they really like to make them more comfortable. Mm. Nice. So then on top of that... uh, how has that changed what uh, you've been able to do? Okay, so how has that um, changed when someone has maybe gotten to that point where they are overwhelmed and they are overstimulated uh, and now they're presenting with some challenging behaviours? What then? So I had a great example of this last week, actually. I have a client who can get overstimulated semi-regularly in the gym and that can develop into loud banging of the gym equipment um, and sort of throwing himself on on the floor onto equipment. Um, So when I first started working with this person before I knew they had a behavioral support plan, um, I would ask them questions like, are you okay? Without using any key sign because I didn't know about it at this stage. How are you feeling? Let's just rest now. Kind of all those three statements one after the other, which for one person might be okay. For this person, it was way too much inflammation. And the covering of the face um, with the shirt, the lying on the floor, the hyperventilating, I might leave them for a little bit and then come up again. What I learned after reading the behavioral support plan was that it's not good to approach that person before they've uncovered their face because if they've still got their face covered, it means Mm. they're not ready to talk. Mm which sounds so obvious now, (laughs) but when you're kind of stressed and you're wanting to help someone, you've got no idea. And every person is so different. So I now know that if they've got their face covered and they're hyperventilating, I need to wait till that breathing rate has reduced, wait till they have taken the shirt off of their face and they're just lying there. And then if they're just lying there, I can ask, are you sick? And I can wait. I can do a sign, yes or no. And I can just wait for them to do something. And I should never try and get them to move (laughs) because that is, again, too much. Mm. So I just really have to sit it out until they show me that they're ready, that they're a bit more calmed down. Will you normally get a response to that? So I had to practice this a couple of times, Mm. this new sort of communication style, working in with that person. And normally when this... Uh, dysregulation has happened it'll happen once they'll calm down for a bit and then get re-stimulated and it will happen a couple of times then I have to tell them to leave because they're going to damage something or they'll damage themselves Mm. and normally when they leave they're okay Mm. Um, like they'll be they're they're wanting to leave by that stage anyway Mm -hmm. so that would happen and then last week for the first time 
the client was able to calm down and become regulated. And then using those behavioural strategies of just really paying attention to them and speaking to them in a way that they need to be communicated to at that time. They didn't have a second episode mm. for the first time in two years. Wow. One episode and then able to re-regulate and get on with the session and leave relatively happy. Mm. Some things were still different. They normally do some things that let me know that they're really happy. Mm. They weren't doing those, but they also weren't going into complete mm. like dysfunction again. Mm. So that's a huge moment. Wow. But mm. it took practice yeah. and restraint from me and me talking to the support worker as well. Like, hey, this is the plan. I'm the one talking. <laughs> and if they tried to go in and be like, no, we need mm. to leave him alone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just one form of stimulus. Simplify one thing at everything. A time. Yeah. Yeah. And just wait. Just wait, man. Yeah. Like, what's the rush anyway? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't gain anything out of making them upset again. No. They don't gain anything out of the session if they're already not feeling well anyway. You gain zero out of doing another set of deadlifts. Yeah. Most, well, what's the point? Most people probably just wouldn't have come anyway. Yeah, yeah. So if you can establish that, like you can mm. have a time where you're not feeling good and then re-regulate, mm. that's a positive learning mm. for that person. Mm. I guess it's interesting because some clients who may have more independence would let you know, hey, I'm not going to come in today. I'm not feeling very well. But a lot of these clients... Uh, don't necessarily have the autonomy to do that. So it's like, no, this is the part of the week where you go to your EP session, um, we're going. Yeah. Mm. And they get driven there and they get dropped. Um, and then you have to deal with whatever mood they're in that day. <laughs> and sometimes it has to be us to decide, hey, today's not a good day for a session. We're going to end it there. Yeah. Um, and that feels like a really counterproductive thing to do uh, if you haven't seen what happens when you do try and push through and do see, oh, I know what happens when we do get overwhelmed uh, and a uh, not great day becomes a worse day. And once you've seen that, you go, nope, I know what days are not good days to exercise and be in a gym with music and other people. Let's leave it there. Let's come back another time. Yeah. No harm done. It's like changing your mindset from that was a lost session to they got to see that I respected them and where they were at today and I didn't push them. Yeah. Mm. And that's your rapport building. And that's why people come back and why they like coming to the gym, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess to, to wrap up that topic, uh, what would be, I guess more in general, uh, some, some basic strategies people could use at whatever space they're at to, uh, to make sure that uh, for most clients who come in who may uh, feel like they can get overstimulated, what are some things that people can do to uh, set up their space well? Andrew? <laughs> Joe? I don't know. To set up their space well? Yeah. So I, I, part, part of the answer to that is asking them so mm. if, if they have the capacity to be able to answer that question or whether there is a behavior support plan or whether there is a parent or a guardian or someone that we could kind of ask that question too like mm. if if this person is prone to being overstimulated what are some of the things that we could do to help mm. them in that situation mm. um, that might be 
turn the lights off, mm. turn the music down. Mm. If somebody's deadlifting and dropping weights mm. next to you, maybe maybe don't drop the weights yeah. for a little while. Mm. Um, uh, if there's a lot of noise, right? If there's a lot, if there's a group class going on, maybe that group class can go for a little walk mm. for five minutes and just like mm. give that person a bit of less stimulation yeah. for a little bit of time. Um, for the practitioner, it's, is there someone that I can go and like just get some help from mm. or just like a bit of not, not even like interjecting into that situation, but just a bit of like moral support. Like mm. there's something going on over here. I don't know what's going on. Mm. Um, I'm trying to deal with it, but can mm. you just kind of like help yeah. me? And then, and then on the other side of that, sometimes uh, I've found that the, the person who's with them, whether it is a, a parent, a family member or a support worker, might be too uh, over-involved and it's just providing too much mm. uh, input, too much stimulus into what is already a new environment and they're trying to make sure that the person likes the new environment uh, and there's, there's too much going on. Uh, and I've sometimes asked... Uh, the parent or support worker is like, hey, do you mind if you wait out in the waiting room and I can just try some things, just the two of us? And that's actually allowed the person to calm down a little bit because they're not being encouraged or asked how they're feeling constantly. Mm. Uh, that's a really interesting thing um, that can happen. Um, some of our EPs have had success with some younger clients who are verbal, who before they start their session they'll go into a quiet room and just check in and go, hey, how are you feeling today? Is today a good day? Is today a bad day? Before we go out to the gym, what do you feel up to doing today? And they might tell you right there. Um, and we've had an EP who does that now with um, a particular client during the week who is you know, uh, a, a kid and sometimes the, the kid just really relaxes and opens up and release a lot of frustration just verbally, which if they went into the gym would have been a really not you know really unproductive session because mm. they would just not be able to manage the environment at all, and uh, we wouldn't have known why. But because we sat down beforehand and checked in, it was fine. It was actually good. We could plan the session around that and work out what to do. Mm. So those are some good things. Joe, mm. do you have any other? Um, clinic setup tips or session setup tips um, for, for managing these? You can always be aware of your diary and how you're scheduling clients. Mm. So um, if there's a particular, if they like a quiet setting, then there are often times where the clinic is not as busy. So you can put them in that. And most uh, support people around that client will make it work. Mm. They'll Absolutely. make sure that they can get to the clinic in a time that it's going to be quiet. Yeah. So that's, I find, a really important thing for some of my clients. They understand why as well. It's like, hey, if you come at this time that you really want to come at, it's going to be way too overstimulating. So I would not recommend it. Yeah. And they go, oh, totally. Yeah, okay. Well, let's find another time then. Yes, because otherwise it really is going to be un unproductive and, yeah. and not very helpful. Yeah. Then they have to you know, deal with the rest of the day and it's going to be shit. You know? Yeah. Mm. I often like to get a little recap about what's happened in the day from the support worker. 
as well because that's always helpful. Mm. Um, you know, it might be, oh, yeah, they had their blood taken today, so that's been a hard day already. Mm. So then if the client is really upset and not wanting to gauge an exercise because they have a fear of needles and they've had their blood taken, mm. I'm not taking that personally. Mm. Like, mm. I really understand where that person's coming from now. Absolutely. So then you can you can just relax as well as the clinician mm. and just go with the flow a bit more easy. Some other things uh, we've found helpful, particularly in our neurodiverse population, is uh, if you have these clients, some clients who struggle to concentrate in a session and see a gym and they, in their head they just see all these possibilities of all of these things. That and most of them are not gym appropriate behaviors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that's a ball, that's a bat. I'm gonna whack that ball with that bat as hard as I can. Mm. It's like the ball's rolling towards that person. I don't care. I've got to hit the ball. And it's like okay, watch out for the people. You're like, oh, mm. how do we teach boundaries? Mm. Um, using a whiteboard uh, and having a visual representation of what the client has to get through in a session, and having built into that breaks and uh, rewards or achievement sections or the client's choice of exercise um, what I've read is people can see that and they can go great I know how to manage my energy to then get through that mm. it's like I can see a finish line I can see my break point I can see how much I need to concentrate before I can then relax or do something else yeah I find clients often love to tick things yes. off mm. Mm. a sense of accomplishment Mm. and for some of my clients who can talk but are not very verbal especially at the beginning when I'm still learning about them and sometimes they talk more as you get to know them but not so much at the beginning I now write how are you on Mm. the whiteboard Mm. and they can write how they're feeling but Mm. there's no way they're going to tell me yeah and then they can yeah there's like smiley faces all around the clinic probably need to wipe some spit off the wall or something from <laughs> yeah <laughs> they've gotten creative yeah. but you may not have been able to get that as a verbal answer yes mm. if you didn't write it down uh, there's something that pe- people find it super satisfying to to finish something that's planned out mm. right there uh I've, I've had sessions go from complete chaos where it's literally chasing someone around as they jump on equipment and throw things around to, oh, yes, we're back to the start. Can I tick that round off? Let's go again. And it's like, okay, yeah, yes, absolutely you can. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah, it's amazing how much it changes and you've it's, done this one simple trick. Yeah, seriously. If you haven't tried a whiteboard with clients who struggle to get through a half hour or 45-minute session, try the whiteboard. Whiteboard's great. <laughs> yeah. You can always redirect back to the whiteboard too. Like, mm. this is what we're doing next. Mm. Yeah. I don't see it ticked off. Yeah. Mm. And then, you know, you can yeah. use a bit of humour yeah. in there as well, a bit yes. of sarcasm. Like, it also yeah. takes away from you telling the client. Um, it's like, I want you to do this. It's like, oh, the whiteboard says this. Therefore, we must do this. And it's like, I don't know who wrote the whiteboard, but the whiteboard says. <laughs> also with intellectual disability, mm. sometimes you can practice their reading and writing skills from it. Just absolutely, it, it might take a minute, but that might be really helpful for that client. Yeah, and just some autonomy as well, so they're not always just asking you what to do. It's like mm. you you can check because I found that sometimes it's a habit asking people what's next and relying mm. on other people, but mm. they were 
also able to make decisions about what types of exercise they wanted to do when they got a bit more used to doing a little bit more for themselves. Mm. Very good. She's good for your life skills. Just life skills. So knowledgeable. We're just helping in so many different areas. Oh, Mm. really? Smarters. Saints at work. Well, maybe we should wrap it up on us just being the smartest people in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. Andrew, how was your your second beer? It's gone down very well. Mm. Just as well as the first one, Mm. I think. Yeah. Joe? Huge fan. Huge yeah, fan. would buy again. Would buy, absolutely would buy again. Great recommendation. I, I don't know how they do it, but it does. It really doesn't taste like your, your licorice dark ale. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe, have you had many other dark ales? Maybe like four. Don't yeah, know okay. any of their names other than Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of Guinness. <laughs> Big fan of Guinness. Yeah. We've had Guinness on the pod before. Mm. Yes. I don't think we were as enlightened then. If it, was it from a can, though? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. That's just not proper Guinness, is it? Well, it's got to be from a tap. It's got to be from the tap, and it's probably got to be from Ireland, so... Apparently, the cans come from Ireland. Yeah, but still, anytime you're getting the pour from a can, you're not doing the proper pour, and the mm. settle that you hate so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hate waiting for the settle. There was this thing in the can... Uh, there was like a filtery thing. Yeah. 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 Um, that when you pour it out of the can, you go straight upside down. You don't like pour it softly. You're like, no, you, you, you send it. upend the can, mm. uh, which you, if you do that with any other beer, they go, what are you doing? Yeah. One half a beer of head. That's silly. But Guinness, it works. Mm. Magic. <laughs> there you go. Beer chats. All right. Joe, do you want to wrap us up? Um, say see you later to everyone and, and go from there. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, guys. <laughs> well, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, on your podcast. Thanks for having me. I really had a good time. And I'm glad you liked the beer. Beer is great. We will be back for part three. See you later.